Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Standing in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is. Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show. It is Inside the Ropes episode 41, named after Peter Brown, of course, who had nothing to do with golf but wore 41 for Carlton many, many years ago. Lovely to be here. Big show coming up. Mark Hayes and Stacey Keating, panellists. We've got an all-star cast of special guests on the show. Hello to you, Hazy. Hello, Mari. I don't think Hawthorne's had any choppers down with that numbers that low, <laughs> except you know, maybe a couple higher than that. Can you remember any Hawthorne player who wore number 41? Not off the top of my head, no, but it'll come to me. Go. There you go. Stacey Keating. Uh, Stacey Peters joins us. How are you, champion? Good, thanks, Mari. How are you? Yeah, I'm going very well, thank you. Who are you barrack for, by the way? Uh, Catters. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 41 at Geelong. Brown? Oh, no, no, Peter was Brown 40. was at Carlton. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Mark. No, I don't know. <laughs> right. Off to a rollicking start. <laughs> Have you got any songs in lot? It was a huge feedback, by the way, to your singing of gold last week. <laughs> uh, just right off the top, general housekeeping. There was a phenomenal response. Did you hear? Did you actually listen to this back? Yes, I did. And then did you see the reviews? Unbelievable. Reviews about hazy singing. I think people actually quite enjoyed it. Yes. <laughs> It's a little bit disturbing. Is this to be going to become a weekly thing? Well, maybe? we could do it this week because there is a mu- there is some musical relevance to um, the episode forty one, and that is to do with the Zurich and the Australian contingent at the Zurich. So we'll get to that a little bit later on. If you feel like breaking into song again, Hazy, uh, by all means, go your hardest. I, I don't know if Colin Hay and I have got the same sort of pitch, Andy. No, but you like Vegemite sandwiches. David Bonsall, Anthony Quayle, Stephanie Bunky are going to join us on the show. So there's a lot to get through. Um, David Bonsall, very keen to have a chat to him, the RNA. Chairman of the Rules of Golf Committee. We know what's coming on the 1st of January 2009. Very keen to talk to David about the... The reasoning behind why now is the point that the RNA chose to reveal, it wasn't now because they made this call six or seven years ago to start looking into rewriting the rules, but we've finally got there. And I'm fascinated to see how these play out early next year. I think, largely speaking, they're going to be great for golf. I agree. But my mission today is to try and bowl David off, off his line and length. He's a very sort of straight up and down operator. I need to, I need to test him out. you mention the B word? I'll see how we go. Yeah. And he might even bring it up himself. You, you never, never know. know. The B word got mentioned on Twitter last night, Stacey. I don't know whether you saw this, but one of the listeners to Inside the Ropes uh, teed up a question on Twitter. It might have been yesterday about bifurcation. And it, there has been a 150 contribution thread, I think you call it, on Twitter, of people from all over the world buying into how the game's been bifurcated for many, many years without even rules being in play. That the pros, by virtue of course set up and galleries and all sorts of stuff play a, a different game than everybody anyway, irrespective of equipment. So that opens up a whole Pandora's box if you want to go down that road. Yeah, it, you know, it, it doesn't take much to actually witness that in action. No. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still for bifurcation. It'll be interesting to see what he thinks about how the tours 
affect what the governing bodies are doing, in my mind. Yeah, good. Well, you should ask him that when he, yeah, when he comes in. I might good. do that. Yeah, good. Um, so let's kick it off. Uh, I don't think we'd be burying the lead, wouldn't we, if we didn't talk about Lydia Co. right off the top. We talked about her last week on the show, Stace, yeah. with Al and the whole David Ledbetter coming out saying, oh, she's burnt out and... In other words, she should never have left me because I was going to be the best thing for her. And Stocks in Ledbetter.com. Whack. <laughs> Whack. David Led, Ledbetter. Yeah, no. Yeah, he put a nice uh, thing out on Twitter congratulating. and would have, been, uh, nice. would have been warmly received by the co-camp. It was, uh, and he even had to write in his notes section, actually. It was that mm. long. It didn't fit in the, uh, ah. the amount of characters. Yeah. So we're, we're in one respect, in a significant re- respect, we're disappointed because we've been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks now that a win is just around the corner for Minji Lee. Yeah. So well is she playing. And we're overwhelmingly disappointed for her that she didn't get the result. But it's hard not to be happy for Lydia Coe who played one of the great shots to win this thing. It was unbelievable. I mean, you can't even, I think as Minji, you know, you can't even be that disappointed, can you? To, mm. I mean, she birdied, hold a bunker shot on 17, then birdied 18. So birdied 17 and 18 to effectively get in the playoff yeah. and then loses to that shot. That's maybe one of the greatest shots that we've seen. Yeah, it has to be taken into consideration when you're talking great shots in terms of timeliness. We'll and set I, it up for us. So yeah. there's some people listening may not yeah. to this moment have seen the Lydia K three would say so set it up for us. So Minji, Take us through it, Minji Lee <laughs> and, and Lydia Co go to the first playoff hole, which is a par five at Lake Merced in San Francisco. And Tees forward. Tees forward. Neither of them had reached the, the green in regulation play on the seventy second hole, but it was within reach. And Lydia she definitely wasn't a miss hit, but she was comfortably outdriven by Minji off the tee, probably 20 metres off the tee. Perfect line if either of them want to go for it from the right side. There's a big tree hanging over the left. And I think Lydia thought, well, I'm that far back. It's now or never. And she's 234 yards on the American uh, numbering system. And she's had to take on the tree, even from the right side of the fairway. And she's hit a three wood over the tree, lands 10 metres in front of the green, trickles up to a front left pin. And for all money... I thought it was going in for a second. Yeah. I, there was a huge yeah. roar in our office. Um, and clearly we're barracking for Minji Lee, but if, if you are ever going to lose to someone from an Australian perspective, Lydia Ko is a pretty good operator. And there was a groan when it didn't quite go in for Albatross because then it would have been the greatest shot of all time. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, a kick in eagle to win a playoff. And Minji finished up with a birdie. Yeah, she still hold that putt, put yeah. the pressure on Lydia a yeah. little bit, maybe. No, <laughs> definitely. Well, as much as you can from two and a half feet. But, yeah. you know, the, the key thing, as Stace said a second ago, is, you know, she didn't hand it to her. She made her earn it with a birdie of her own in a playoff. If you birdie a playoff and then have to just shake hands of your opponent, well, then so be it. It's not your day. So <laughs> Minji will get her day. But for a 44 tournament drought, it felt like. Drought. Uh, yeah, drought. <laughs> the fact that we're using that word. Yeah, don't is. use that, Daisy. Come on. <laughs> but well, we are using that word. It has been attached to it. I mean, Greg Chalmers, for example, you know, he would he would have loved a forty-four tournament drought, other as opposed to a three hundred tournament drought. But the um, the relevance to that is that Lydia Ko was so prolific mm. in her victories for so many years. As and his years, he just turned twenty-one last week. We talk about it; it makes it sound like she's seventy-five. But, you know, look, this is one of the – it's a great story. And she, as as Ali pointed out last week, she's one of the best human beings you'll ever meet. Yeah, she's just a great person. It doesn't feel like her success has changed her either, you know. She's really yeah. – just a good down-to-earth Kiwi. Yeah, and she's she's so normal. Yeah. When, you, when, when she talks to a person, she smiles, she remembers names, she always comes up and – 
you know, is gracious and, and says, Good day, Andy, how are you? How's you know, how's how's your kids? Yeah. You know, that's that's who she is. So, you know, full credit to her. All Aussie hats off, even to a dirty Kiwi. <laughs> that's right. Nah, we like the Kiwis. Ah, we do. I'm so they kidding. so they finish twelve under four better than the next best, which just underlines how they streeted, you know, high quality field. I mean there was some fairly talented players left in their wake. Yeah, it was a good field. Mm. And and to me, I'm I'd be interested in Stace's take on this. Lake Merced is, uh, in, in this part of the year at, at least, is subject to wind and fog and, you know, conditions that are more akin to a British Open rather than a, you know, a tricked up American course. And I would, I, I, I'm interested in your thoughts, Stace. To me, the harder the Yakka gets, the more Minji has a chance of winning. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and she's probably more used to those conditions a little bit, I'd say, than she hasn't grown up and, you know, typical American style. Yeah. And by the look of what everybody was wearing over there, it wasn't that warm. No. And I mean, San Francisco is just, you know, susceptible to that sort of conditions in in early May. So, you know, I I just think, Andy, that she's shown again, I'm talking about Minji, that when when the whips get really cracking in serious tournaments, she's going to be a force. So... uh, this is her LPGA Tour start to the year. Eight starts, no missed cuts, five top tens. It's pretty good. And that's on top of a Vic Open yeah, win exactly. and a runner-up in Canberra. Yeah, mm. so she's I she's in good nick. Yeah, I mean, picked up where she left off last year. I yeah. mean, her consistency last year was unbelievable. I, I don't actually know the number of top tens off, off the top of my head, but it was it was high. Yeah, no, yeah. she's going well. Um, encouragingly, also from an Australian perspective, Stace was the performance of Sue O. Who Definitely. put herself in the frame? Yeah, she hasn't had the greatest start to the year. Um, Talk right in there. Yeah, there, oh, you go. there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, unfortunately, Sue hasn't had the greatest start to the year. But um, yeah, I sp- actually spoke to her a couple of weeks ago, and she she sounded quite positive about things. And she, you know, she spoke of I, I feel I'm close. I feel I'm close, Stace. So you know, clearly she wasn't making that up, and mm. did get a, a new set of clubs early on in this week. Um, yeah, so something that probably a lot wouldn't recommend, but clearly has made a made a good difference for her, and hopefully she can take a lot of confidence from this and you know really roll with it. That that's a massive shot in the arm for her, Hazy. We've been, it, it's only human if you get out there and you know we talked about the widening gap between her and her great contemporary you know, Minji, who we followed the two of them closely for three or four years together. Now, um, for her just to get herself back in proper competitive Nick and um, contending for a while there in the end she's you know been knocked over by about nine but um, that's a it's a it's a really good positive step forward for Sulo. and in another respect too Andy because we talked about as you just did then her relationship with Minji she also came through the junior ranks with Lydia mm. I mean they're all about the same age so it reaffirms probably in her mind that she's you know not too far away and to share the lead in an LPGA event whether it's 18 or 72, is, is, a, is a great feat. And I think she'll take a lot of confidence from it. As Stace said, one week with the clubs in the bag and, and very positive results. And again, another player having grown up in, um, you know, Australian wind, not American sort of, you know, pristine conditions, yes. benign, my favourite golfing but word. No, not anymore. The other B word's your favourite golf. <laughs> that, you know, Sue will actually shine when it gets tough. And, you know, when, when we get into the... European part of the season, I expect her to be strong in Scotland and and the, and the British Women's Open and also at Evian as well. And so, believe it or not, uh, 
our very own Clates is taking a lot of credit for that last week because he said he he really pushed her to get these clubs. So can is. we believe that that he's taking that credit? He has. He has. Yeah, no, I can believe that. <laughs> what did he say about? What did, what did he say about the Trion eighteen? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it probably shouldn't be there, should it? <laughs> I think I'm not sure if it was Still or McCulloch that he was recommending. Um, just on Clates last night, I'm speaking about Twitter, Andy. Did you hear him described as the Kardashian of golfing podcasts? Oh, good lord! I mean, one of the great phrases that I've ever read on Twitter. Um, who, who, who described him such? Um, someone in the UK okay. who was doing an assessment of world golfing podcasts. And thanks very much for not even mentioning us, pal. But Disappointing. In in uh, lining up Clates, he's described him as a Kardashian. Which I, I cannot wait to put that to Clates in on on in an on air situation. I, I want to hear Clates's understanding of the reference. What do you think that means, Clates? That's what I. That will be very interesting to hear. In it'll be his explanation of that will be as ungainly as the most famous bit of footage of Mike Clayton uh, that is available in world golf. So um, I don't think he'll put Jenna and. Kardashian together, but my my thoughts would be he'd refer back to sort of the the decathlon era. That's a very good point. Now you set up some homework off the back of the Lydia Co three wood, and that was the uh, greatest shot we've ever seen played, because it, it launches itself into the conversation. Such was the quality of the shot, particularly at the time that it was played. It's a brutally unfair thing for you to do. Yeah, no, it was pretty rough, especially late on a on a Tuesday evening before oh, the record. God, so who wants? To, could anyone narrow it down to one? I'm going with one. I've got one. So you're disciplined. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's your one? Uh, Curry Webb in the uh, Craft Nabisco, 2006 from I don't uh, maybe 110 yards. Oh, hold, hold the yes. uh, hold the wedge shot, which at that point. I think everybody thought for the win, but effectively was to get into a playoff against uh, Lorena Ochoa. Mm. And then, of course, if you do that, you're going to win the playoff, aren't you? <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's mine. I don't know if I'm being a bit biased. There, no, but no chance. It's I, a great call. Yeah, I think that. I'm bias away. That's what we're all about. <laughs> that's our middle name. Inside the bias it's the other, It's the other B word. With and what about three, you guys? What are you? What uh, do you got? I, I got can't. Four. I've got no discipline. I've got Andy's three. got four. I've got four. I can reference mine out in different aspects. So one that I watched. Like one that I watched. Which Live you mean? Live. Yep. Min Woo Lee in the twenty seventeen Australian Amateur Championship and he played uh we had a caddy who uh had been knocked out in the earlier rounds and this was in the final against Matias Sanchez and he blocked his drive right at uh the fourteenth at Yarra Yarra and was stymied. And his caddy was basically walking towards the 15th tee and said, you've got to hit it over here, so you've got a shot at the pin. So we're going to have like a, a six iron out along the ground and then and then a 100-meter wedge to the green. That's the safest way to play it. Min just looked at him and laughed and hit this like four-iron stinger between trees that sliced for about 15 meters, then straightened up and then stopped on a dime to about three feet. <laughs> and I just thought that is... Everyone just went, oh, my goodness. God. How do you do that? I think there were a few other three-word yeah, phrases, yeah, yeah. But, but it was an extraordinary shot. I've never seen anything like that attempted, and to pull it off in an Australian amateur final was just unbelievable. So my, the one that I saw, I was lucky enough to be doing the fairway commentary of the PGA, Australian PGA, up at Coolham many, many years ago, and Baddeley the 12th, the par 5 down the dip and then up to the hill with the water down on the left, Baddeley carved his drive out to the right. It was in the trees, and it was about... 10 feet in from the um, property fence line, so nearly out of bounds. And I went down there before he got there, and they came down and said, oh, he's dead. He's got no shot. 
you'll have to come out sideways. And even coming out sideways was problematic, finding somewhere to knock it out. And it was sitting on loose bark and there were tree branches and fallen twigs and it was unstable. He couldn't get a footing. It was just an impossible shot. And he got in there and he had about 190 to the pin, but I couldn't believe he was even thinking about that. And he looked he looked up about 60 metres in front of him and there was a square hole between some branches. And he looked at it and he said to his caddy, what club do you reckon I'll need to get through there? And the caddy said, five iron. And he never looked sideways and he took the five iron out, did his yardage and hit a five iron through this hole in the trees that would have been a metre by a metre. That, mm. that's, and it was about 80 metres, no, it was 60 metres in front of him. And then he had about another 130 to get over the front right bunker onto a narrow part of the green where the pin was cut. He knocked it through the hole, flew over the bunker and sat like Min, like Min Woo's, just sat so quiet. I think he missed the eagle puppet made birdie. It was just the most remarkable mm. shot. And it's not a, but there were probably only about, 60 of us who saw it um, and whoever was watching on TV because I think they did show it on the... It was just an unbelievable shot. Yeah, it's it was awesome. ridiculous. It's great when you see it live. Yeah. So the other one, the second of my three was Phil Mickelson. I didn't see it, but at Augusta in 2010 when he punched the one six iron off the pine needles. Yep. Um, and what brought that home to me was standing there the next year because they'd put a little pink flag uh, so that people could actually see in the practice rounds where he hit it from and take sort of a notice of what it, what he'd done and I stood next to the pink flag and I'm 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 knocking that 25 meters sideways every day like every day and he's hit a six iron to four or five feet mm. across the river out off the pine straw through the trees it's like the nothing but net commercial isn't it you never say never with those blokes it's I, one thing you've learned and I think the, the key and, element, and, you, and girls like guys you never they, you never say they can't play a shot no I think the key element to the three that you and I have mentioned so far is the escape factor. Yeah. Curry's is a little bit different for the tournament, but uh, yeah. And my last one, Andy, before you um, rattle on is... I won't rattle on that long. ...is um, Tiger's shot. Tiger's got a catalogue of these. Which one? I'm going with the one from the bunker, like the 200-yard bunker shot from the fairway bunker with a six iron over the water to a shallow pin at the back of the green, like not much green to work with. And everyone else is laying up there, and the commentators are saying, "I think he's going for it." It was the 2000, I think, Canadian Open, uh, and he not only took it on, but just hit the purest fairway bunker shot of all time to it to the back fringe. And you know, it naturally again he went on to win the tournament. If you hit these shots, you just you know your, your mouth is agape if you're watching it. Well, I'm taking the fast food option with Tiger, uh, 16. 205. That's yep. just ridiculous, you know. It was a close second for it's me. just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's easy and, you know, it doesn't take a lot of brain work to figure it out. Staying at 16 for the other one that I couldn't leave out, Nicholas in 86. Uh, Do you remember he hit it and he went straight to the tee? Yeah. Like, and I thought, oh, he's hit this in the water. Like, yeah. he's hit such a bad shot here. He doesn't even want to see it. And then it's landed pin high about on that little ridge and then just trickled from right to left down that little ridge and just bruised the, just brushed the face of the hole as it stopped to about three feet. And he, I remember him describing afterwards because his son was on the bag yeah. and he said to his kid something like, because the kid thought like me, oh, he's hit a shocker. Um, and afterwards the old man said to him, I just knew I'd hit a good shot. I didn't need I, to see it. Well, I, I think just he, knew. I think his son said, be good. And he said, 
It is. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's exactly how it played out. Yeah, yeah. and he, he, his eyesight was failing a little. Not failing, but, you know, not as sharp as it once was. Mm. But he just knew through the hands on the, and you know, how it felt on the club. Played that shot so many times. Yeah, knew that pin. It was just magnificent. The other one I wanted to throw in just quickly was Craig Parry, 2004 Dural. Yeah. Not only because he made the shot and he won the tournament, but just to stick it up Johnny, Johnny Miller. Johnny Miller, yeah. You know, like cop that Johnny Miller, you know. So Johnny Miller did win a major and played and won more tournaments, you know, big level tournaments that, than Craig Parry won. But he ever played a shot like that. So yeah. cop that, Johnny. Yeah. The the eye champion of the world copped a dagger to the heart, a six iron to the heart. It was a magnificent shot yeah, too. No, like it was full, a magnificent shot. We owe Parry another beer for that just yeah. for mentioning it. Um, so uh, we'll get to, we'll get a wriggle on because we've got a lot to get through. But um, just other results around the world. Um, I, I, the Zurich we talked a lot about last week. I'm happy for Billy Horschel. I think Billy Horschel's good for golf. I think Billy. I, I don't know. I've never spoken to Billy Horschel. I don't know whether either of you two have. Yeah. I like the cut of Billy Horschel's jib. He's been through a bit with his with his family, and they've yeah. been really open about the yeah. battles that maybe sort of took his eye off the game a little bit after he you know won the FedEx Cup. And um, I love the fact that he was not afraid to explain mm. to people who are invested in him and invested in the game, look, I'm sorry about where I've been for the last couple of years, but here's my, my wife's had some problems. That's been my priority. We've had to get through this together. My golf suffered as a result of it. Uh, I'm just so – I think he's a genuinely decent fella, yep. and right. I was really happy for him and uh, he's Scott Pearcey to win that thing. That's yeah, he my, definitely wears his heart on his sleeve, doesn't he? Very emotional guy on the golf course. Yeah, that, that's exactly my take too, and, and I'm all for that. If you if you have the have the the uh, fortitude, yeah, to tell your story, uh, and you know, live your life by your priorities, which is his family, uh, then all credit to you. I just think <laughs> that I think that's phenomenal, and just a great week for um, is it PXG states? So the brand, the club. Oh yeah, maker? yeah, 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 yeah. PXG. Yeah. Billy Horschel and, and Lydia getting the chocolates in one week when they haven't had much success on the tour in a little while. But yeah, you're great looking for them. to get some new gear. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're doing? That was a nice pitch, Actually, I didn't know where we we're going with that one, Murray. Yeah, yeah a little gratuitous plug. You're looking to get some gear, eh? Is that I, what you're doing? I don't think that Doctor Parsons, in his, whatever his project is, <laughs> is, is, is uh, going to help me out. Flat week for the Aussies on the web dot com. Um, Brett Drew was the best of the f- players, finishing in a tie for twenty twenty three over. This is a tough week at Victoria Golf Club. Do you see the scoring here? There are only eight players under the card on the web tour. Now, this is routinely and annually one of the more difficult courses apparently they play on the web.com. But um, you're generally winning web.com with 17, 18. They sort of play mm. fairly benign parkland type, <laughs> um, you know, gettable golf courses. Well, yeah. this was not that. Nicholas Thompson, who spent a lot of time on the PGA Tour and, you know, brother of and good player and, you know, has been. I earmarked a couple of years ago to be a bright young thing with real top-level prospects. Made the cut, then shot 82 and 84. So made the cut, then shot 82 and 84 on the weekend to finish 24 over. Now, you don't see that very often, do you? Curtis Luck finished 17 over, and we know how good a player he is. So it must have been really brutal. And I saw a little bit of it on the Monday morning as uh, we sort of came to a conclusion there, but... Um, it was worth noting that the conditions there were particularly difficult. The Australians just never really got out of second or third gear. Um, four Aussies finished in the top 30-odd in China. Um, Jason Scrivener's going to win something, isn't he? Yeah, he He's going to win something sooner or later. Yeah, he is. I, and I think the, maybe not the elite-level European Tour tournament within his grasp yet. I think it could be. 
Um, but the the lesser known ones without the superstars, he's like like the Volvo Open. Mm. I don't want a Volvo either. Um, is, Why not? What if somebody said we got a Volvo for you, Hazy? Oh, is it beige? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd, I'd be all over a Volvo. Anyway, back to Scrooge. Back to yeah. Scrooge. I think his game is developing still, and I, I think he might get to the elite tournament category at one stage. But I think it's a matter of time until he is right in the frame on the next tier tournament. Mm, he down. is just, you know... Building. Every year, he seems like he's got better. Do you better. like seeing so, that that methodical progress, Stace? I imagine mm-hmm. you would rather see that Definitely. as opposed to somebody who just bursts on the scene and then can never replicate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think Scrib's a perfect example of that. He's uh, He seems like he's been doing that on the European tour, so it's great. He, he great looks like watch. somebody who knows his game well, yeah. you know, as well. And he's put some great numbers out there, too, in yeah. some good events, so... Mm. It's only a matter of time when he puts it together. Andrew Doe, Jason Norris shoots 64 in the second round. Good friend of everybody in Australian golf. Uh, that's an outstanding result yeah. for him. I think when he starts to feel comfortable there and not just be amazed that, oh, my God, I'm on the European mm, tour, mm. we'll also see something. I think he's going to be more of the flighty type. Sorry, Norrie, but he's going to be yeah. not the Jason Scrivener straight trajectory. But it's tough like that, you know, getting thrown into that situation, isn't it, because of a win or yeah, something like that? absolutely. Yeah. I mm. mean, like this time last year before Fiji, he had nothing. Yes. Mm. So, you know, it's an amazing achievement. And he's still improving, which is remarkable given he's 200 years old. And I'll continue mentioning Marcus Fraser, <laughs> another 300-year-old bloke. Shoots 72-71, just squeak in on the number, gets in on the cut line, and then shoots 68-69 on the weekend. We, we like what we're seeing from Fraser, yeah. who's just st- made six cuts in a row now that he's made over there after a you know, little rocky period there for him, and he looks like he's getting it back together. Uh, any other bits and pieces from you two before we get to the first break? Well, maybe we talk to about the Japan Tour when we speak to one of oh, our guests later in a minute. But, which and, we will. And we're, we can call him in a, in a couple of minutes here. So, so let's let's talk to Anthony Quayle. But a couple of great results other than Quayle. Matt Griffin and Brendan Jones, also top 10 in the crowns in Japan. Mm. Um, Griffo seems like he's loved that event the last few yeah, years. A yeah, couple of top, said, a top five and a top six yeah. now um, in the last three years. And, and you know... We're going to get him back on. He's one of the great speakers of, of modern golf. and But Quayley, a young guy who not many people know about too mm. much, Anthony Quayle, huge result, tied second there, and we'll talk to him about it very soon. That after this on Inside the Ropes. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. G'day, I'm Sarah Kemp. My rugby league teams aren't doing that well, but I'm always happy because I'm listening to Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to the show. It is Inside the Ropes. And before we went to the break, Hayes, you mentioned uh, some of the deeds of some Australians over in Japan. And it's a tough tour. We don't, unfortunately, we lament the fact that we don't get to see it. Um, and I would love to find a way somehow of getting access to the coverage of the Japanese tours. Uh, Japanese tour. I'd love to be able to see it back here. Yeah, we rely a lot on that, on the players, actually, and mm. their social media to bring us up to date. The website's not great. It's got a myriad information, but it's hard to read and decipher. And, Translate. Yeah, it's it's not it's set up for a domestic audience. It's mm, not that's set right. Up and the, and the, the lack of global TV makes it hard, but we're really excited this week, Andy, because... As I mentioned before the break, Anthony Quayle, who's a a burgeoning prospect from Queensland, 
shot a, his best result in his first year out on the tour so far. It was a tied second behind no less the player than Waiya Yang and picked up a pretty handy check, but more importantly, got your way, Qualey, and we welcome you to Inside the Ropes. You found your way onto the Japanese tour with a bit more solidarity as the, as the season unfolds. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, that's right. It's, uh, it's, it's a good week for me because it just sets my year up a little bit more. Um, I finished fourth at Q School, but it's still there's still some uncertainty. You don't get told how many starts you're going to get or when your next start is, and quite often you get in pretty late. So... Um, this just helps me for a couple of the re-ranks throughout the year and, and sets the tone. It'll help me. It'll get me into most events for the rest of this year, which is, which is awesome. So before we you know, detail how you got there and what you want to do, you, I mentioned before the break that Waiya Yang got you. Um, yeah. You were telling me the other day, it's the second time he stitched up. I can't believe you've let an old bloke stitch up twice in three months. Yeah, I know. What am I thinking? He must have some game or something. <laughs> I've heard of him before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He uh, look. He I played with him um, at Q School last year, and he was great. He doesn't speak a whole lot of English, but for a man who's done what he's done, um, he was incredibly humble and asked about what I was doing and what my plans were, and just gave me some insights into what he did. And it was just fantastic. I thought for a guy of that caliber to be that nicer guy was really cool um so you know when you lose to a guy like that who's obviously an incredibly good player but also a really good guy um you know you're not too disappointed so Quayle you had you know a really nice amateur career and it sort of picked up pace as it went through um even though you weren't the most high profile perhaps of your peers but you've started out their professional career I'd say incredibly impressively so it's been building nicely a couple of good results in Northern Territory and and um, more specifically, I suppose, recently, the Australian Open. And I'm really interested to hear you talk about that because against a, a quality, world-class field, you were basically right in the mix uh, after 36 holes there. What did you learn from, from a big finish at the Australian Open? Yeah, I think um, I think the, the Aussie Open was pretty, pretty important. I think it was pretty instrumental in me actually getting my tour card in Japan the week after. Um, because I got, it was the biggest field I'd played in, the most high-profile players I'd ever played in the same field as. Um, and I think everything I'd done, I had to play well throughout the Aussie Tour to be able to get into that week just to start with. So, um, yeah, I, playing in front of the crowds that I did on the weekend at the Aussie Open um, really helped boost some confidence and just it, it helped you cement yourself as a good player and that you belong to be there, hearing recognition from the crowd and also the other players. Um, I think every time you hear that, it just helps you feel like you belong and that you can compete. And when you have that mentality, you're able to go out there and show off your craft and you can and you can actually put it to good work rather than going out there kind of feeling like you're not sure, trying to find your footing and not sure where you really belong. And if you really belong out here, it's really difficult to... To go out and perform at your best so I was really lucky in the fact that I got off to a good start there and I was in contention and really well received by a lot of the fans and a lot of the players and um, it just allowed me to do what I love to do and yeah it's just snowballed from there. So showcasing your game there in front of the big galleries at the Australian you know you mentioned uh, earlier in the week how the crowds and at Nagoya for the the crowns this week were phenomenal Um, and Andy said before, we don't know. We just unfortunately don't know too much about these events, only what we hear and read from other players. Um, what was it like around Nagoya Golf Club? Uh, it was 
yeah, look, it, it's incredible. It's really cool. There's um, on the back of last week they had uh, Ishikawa playing, and and I never really realised. I knew it was a big deal in Japan. But he, he's uh, he's honestly the Tiger Woods of Japan. It's unbelievable. He he moved so many crowds, um, and the amount of just the, the amount of people who dress like him who to go out and just buy merchandise to look like him or get his attention is unbelievable. He he could my first event at Token a couple of weeks ago, he was a he was on the morning field on the Thursday, maybe the fifth or sixth group out, and there was as many people following his group as the last group at the Aussie Open on the weekend. It's amazing. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I could not believe it. And uh, and it's quite intimidating. If you're if your group on Saturday this week I was a group behind him. Um, and it's actually probably trickier playing behind him because as soon as he finishes, all the crowds move. So you have a lot of disturbances in the background and quite a bit of noise and uh, a lot of different things. It was just it was just great to be a part of that. And on top of that, you had Satoshi Kadara, who won on the PGA Tour at Harbortown a couple of weeks ago, playing in that same group. Um, so just the crowds were unbelievable. They obviously get behind their 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 fan, uh, their players from home and um yeah it was unbelievable so quayley does that sort of help reinforce to you this is a really cool place to be because i'm imagining when you grew up and we might talk about that again in a second um you know that japan probably wasn't going to be high on your list of priorities and maybe a 17 16 year old whereas now it seems like a pretty good place and getting better all the time yeah i think so i think for australia i don't think it probably gets the recognition um it deserves from the majority of the sort of amateurs coming out of Australia. I think there's some great players up there. Um, you look at someone like a Brandon Jones, for example, he's won 14 times up there. And comparatively, if he had a won 14 times on any other major tour in the world, he's an incredibly high-profile player. Um, and it, and I, I don't think he probably gets the recognition he deserves. He's an unbelievably good player. Um I think for Australians, because it's in the same time zone, it's an overnight flight coming back. It's just a day flight going up. It's a really good option for us. We don't have to travel as far. We can keep our base in Australia. Um, and the level of competitions is, is really high. So I think it's... And you're playing in front of great crowds, which is what you'll end up doing when you're playing on a PGA Tour in majors. So I think it's just a really good stepping stone for Australians. Um, it's probably something really worth considering for the, the guys coming through in the future. Now, Quayley, what about your profile, mate? Strapping, sort of six foot three, blonde, mm. you know, big draw card for the potential sponsors and crowds in the future. You're uh, always thinking about the Bucks, aren't you, Hazy? Yeah. <laughs> are, are we talking about me or the Mark Hayes of old? <laughs> <laughs> I never had the blonde tips. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I, you. Um, I think that you could be something uh, that's a really marketable commodity. I, you know, we're looking for people who uh, not only play good golf, which you naturally do, but you know, you're also a um, you know well spoken and, and you interact beautifully with the crowds. Is it something you are interested in doing that sort of thing, or is it just all about focus on golf right now? Um. So your question's referring to. Um, do you want to be the next? Look, do you want to be a Hemsworth brother? That's basically what he's asking. <laughs> Can you see yourself moving into Hollywood type film type uh, sort of stuff, or are you just happy to keep playing golf for the time being? So, so maybe just play golf for the time being. But I guess right. if, if just just to uh, 
I guess, entertain Hazy. Maybe if that opportunity <laughs> came along, I might have to put the golf on the back burner and, <laughs> and give it a run. Quayley's been slashing yeah. me this year, Murray. I, I, I came out to watch him. He was a million under at the Vic Open and uh, went out to watch him for two holes and he had a double bogey. Uh, so I ground him You're to the a, Jonah. I did. I ground yeah. him to a halt beautifully. Yeah. Um, so I, he ha- I've got a bit of a track record here, which I apologise for, Quayley. Yeah, he uh, he. I just want to take the opportunity to say, Hazy's the king of the mows. Uh, <laughs> he, he don't know if I've seen that. Yeah, apparently he's still copping a little bit of flack over it. So I just want to make sure that uh, that's still out there and circulating around the guys. Lovely. Hey, Anthony, Stacey uh, Peters here. How you doing? Yeah, good. How are you, Stacey? Good, bud. Um, I was just uh, been thinking about the Japanese tour for the women. It's quite difficult as an international um, when it comes to, you know, we have to have a translator, like 24-7, yeah. stuff like that. And I feel they're making it more and more difficult for internationals on the female side of things. How is yeah. it for the men? I Yeah, I agree. That's a good point. Um, I haven't been to any of the ladies' events, but I have heard that. Mm. Um and in Australia, we don't need a trans. Oh, sorry, in, in Japan, yep. we don't. Yeah, we don't need a um, a translator. But they do seem to make it quite difficult for the international players. Yeah, um, okay. Just just the little things, you know. The just in entering Q school, it all has to be entered in Japanese. So you need to know somebody who does it to enter. And then um, there's no notification to internationals on when entries open for Q schools. And there's a lot of things you have to be quite onto yourself. And then. Once you get up here, all the media is is pretty biased towards you know the Japanese. So um, I think one of my I, I was first round leader last week, and I've come off the course and I had to go do some interviews, and I and they were sort of saying it in Japanese, and I had a translator, and the translation was um, Satoshi Kadar has just eagled his first hole. He's pro- he's probably going to overtake you today. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just had no idea how to answer it. I was, I was just like, yeah, yeah, sure. sure I guess so. <laughs> so you have to have a translator like with you no. every week or no? No, they, they, they supply one for us. So, so we're probably fortunate there compared to the ladies' side. Um, yeah, because the ladies have to, yeah, have to have a translator. Yeah, it would be – I know Karis is up there, but I, th- yeah. I think she has a friend – who might even be caddying for yeah, her. At the moment, uh, yeah. yeah, at the moment she does. So that she's kind of doubling as a caddy and translator, which is, yeah, uh, which is obviously just handy. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, not, not everybody's going to have that opportunity. No. That, that's probably the pitfall, and it's probably why the um, Japan Tour isn't bigger than what it is, is because they try to keep it so in-house. And, and I'm not claiming to be any expert. I've only been up there a little while, but um, a few events that you play up there, a lot of these things start to become pretty evident. So, Anthony, tell us what difference you – know, we've spoken to a lot of young pros, um, you know, on this show and, you know, throughout the course of our duties. And, you know, the, the reality is when you turn pro that money is really important. Like, it's, it's, it's inevitable that it becomes really important. You bank a really good check and your re-ranking is significant off the back of the crowns. In terms of the practicalities of that, how big – not only – you've already sort of described the confidence and that sense of belonging – um, and you answer that great, but it, just the practicalities of having money in the bank and a ranking that will get you into more tournaments. Now, to, talk to us about the practicalities of that and what a difference that makes to you. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that come with it. Uh, firstly, um, firstly, there's not as many unknowns. You, I can, I can 
for the most part, sit down and plan out the rest of my year now, which yep. is great. Um, I, I was actually the last man in the field last week for the Crown Zone. I flew up there as a reserve. I was second reserve when I got on the plane on Monday. And when I got off the plane, um, I'd received an email saying I got in on Monday night and I was the last man to get in the field. So going up there, I had to take a bit of a risk. I It was probably going to set me back three to four grand for the trip just with flights, accommodation, uh, food for the week and I didn't have a I didn't I, I wasn't into the tournament yet so it's a gamble I'm actually pretty happy I took now um, <laughs> oh yeah but, how'd you make how'd you decide that <laughs> yeah yeah but uh but I think um I think for the rest of this year I won't have to make as many of those decisions I think a lot of that will be set out you know weeks in advance and from the financial standpoint it allows you to go out and play a little bit more freely. You're not having to worry about, you know, how you're going to cover a few of your flights and, and accommodation. Um, you're able to, to book it in advance because you've obviously got the funds there and, and you're also not playing for, for your next meal, so to speak. You can kind of just relax and go out there and just play how you know you can play. Speaking of your next meal, Quayle, it's disappointing to the Australian beef industry that I believe you've gone to the vegan side of oh. the equation. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, Hazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, how don't do you, hold it against how, vegans. I know you've got an issue with vegans. No, I don't know what your problem is with the Nothing at all. Vegan I, I, love it. I just wish that Quayle could experience a good teriyaki beef or something in downtown <laughs> Sapporo. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, look, I've had my fair share. I grew up in the Northern Territory, so... Um, so I didn't miss out, that's for sure. But for the last couple of years, it's, um, it's just something I've done and, and felt better for it. And I've stuck stuck to doing it. No so shortage of tofu over in Japan. Uh, yeah, they, they do all right. It's pretty good, actually. Are you allowed little, to eat tofu? Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was a little, it was a little tougher than what I thought it might be over there. But um, that's another one of the things that you have to learn. And that that's a big part of uh, playing over there as well, actually. You need to... My first event at Token, I felt like I was always a couple of steps behind. Everything's in a different language. Re- registration slightly different at every event. Traveling's different. Trying to, like simple things, picking up a rental car when you don't speak their language becomes quite difficult. So um, a lot of these off-course things, diet, finding what foods you want to eat, making sure you're eating good foods, making sure your accommodation flights, everything are planned, um, definitely go a long way to playing better. Go, it's that. a matter of time until McDonald's has a tofu burger and you can roll in there. <laughs> Mate, you mentioned Northern Territory there. Last week we had um, a really good response to a young lady we had on here, uh, Caitlin Rika, who um, is by any accounts uh, you know, an outstanding young lady and She's not a stranger to you, mate, and you, you, you yourself have a. I know you're a proud Queenslander now, but you've got a really also proud Northern Territory heritage. That's right. Yeah, I um, so I, I played for the Northern Territory junior team for five years. I grew up in a, a small town called Gove, um, and Caitlin's Kate was from there as well. So, um, I actually. She's a few years younger than me, but when I, I went to Hills when I was 14, and I used to go back up to Gove a couple of times a year, and when I was Later in my amateur career, I actually went up there and just did a small clinic for a lot of the juniors, and she was there and spent a lot of time speaking to her mum, and she's incredibly enthusiastic and does a lot for all the juniors up there at Gove. And I think when I was there, I might have been one of three or four juniors, whereas they might have about 30 or 40 kids up there now that like to get out there and play, and um, they're incredibly proud of it. And 
they're really enthusiastic as well. You know, we don't have a whole lot up there, and the course, um, the course is no world beater, but it's a it's a fun little track, little nine hole track, and what I grew up playing on. And um, to be honest, I'd love to get back there and have another hit. I just, yeah, I just haven't had the chance to get back. But yeah, it's a great little spot, and um, yeah, she's from a great family, and and they're doing a really good job up there. And we'll keep an eye on her and we'll keep an eye on you. And I'm sure they'd be delighted to have you back, Anthony. Congratulations on the result last week. And um, to the best of our ability, uh, we will stay absolutely across everything that you and Griffo and all the other boys up there in Japan are doing. It's uh, You're flying the flag um, really well on behalf of Australian golf. And uh, hopefully there's going to be many more results like the one um, in store you had uh, last weekend. Thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. Thanks, Quayle. Good on you. Anthony Thanks, Quayle Anthony. joining us on the show here on Inside the Ropes. We're going to break out of the way. David Bonsall, RNA Rules of Golf Committee Chair, to join us next. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program Visit swingfit.com.au. G'day, I'm Gareth Dalton, and I love catching up with you inside the road. Welcome back to the show. Great to have you with us. Uh, very lucky to have um, a man who has got his hands on the wheel when it comes to the rules of the game uh, and driving to a large degree the future of golf. He and his committee. Uh, we've got the RNA chairman of the Rules of Golf Committee, David Bonsall, in the studio with us. Far too tanned and far too healthy and far too relaxed, I must say, for a man who spends his life, David, dealing with the rules of the game. I would have thought you'd be haggard and <laughs> your hair would be all over the joint. You'd be dishevelled. How can you be looking so relaxed and healthy when you deal with the sort of stuff that you deal with? Well, very kind of you to say so, but uh, uh, on radio, you don't see that I've got the grey hairs, <laughs> which have definitely come on over the last six years of working on this project on the new rules. It's been a fascinating but quite hard journey at times. But we're nearly there with implementation in January next year. So that's when it all kicks off. And did you just say six years you've been working on this? Yes, we started the project in uh, April 2012, having uh, discussed with the USGA the idea that we might look fundamentally at revising the rules of golf, something probably that's never really happened ever. Um, and uh, the last big rewrite was really 1984, but before that, 1952. So a lot of years have gone by without this fundamental review of what the rules are trying to do in the game and whether they're fit for purpose and fit for the modern age. What's the launching point for the decision that now is the time for a review? Is it your own view of golf, or do you take um, on board and into account feedback you get from members of and players from all over the world on a cumulative regular basis? Well, I think those of us who are involved in the game uh, are involved both as administrators but also as players and as spectators. So all of us can see certain events over the years which have not been ideal. Frankly, situations where penalties get applied perfectly correctly under the rules but they seem not to fit with what uh, people feel should be the outcome 
And that was happening increasingly. And I think we also recognise that the language of the rules, the way in which we express those rules, doesn't fit with the sort of words that most people use today mm. in everyday activity. And so we've got a bit of a disconnect between um, a historic set of rules, which have worked incredibly well. They are comprehensive. They do work. The referees who administer them understand those rules. But not many real golfers get those rules or feel very inclined to read them. So all of that came together. It was our own feelings, but it was also feedback from others. And we just felt that now was the right time to have that kind of uh, fundamental review, start from scratch, look at every aspect of the current rules and see whether it was right, whether it fitted together and whether perhaps we couldn't do better. Mm. David, one of the, I'll be the bad cop here and ask you, ask you a couple of curly ones. I promise I'll be nicer later. One of the key words that you've, you guys have bandied about has been modernization. Mm-hmm. And yet it's taken six years or maybe seven years by the, t- by the time the process has run its race. Um, and some criticize people, golf in particular, for not being able to move that fast. What do you say to that criticism? I think when we've had a, a current burning issue, we've responded very quickly. Um, dare I say the Lexi Thompson incident uh, last year um, at the ANA Inspiration prompted us the following week during Masters Week to have uh, meetings, frankly, every morning and evening to try and see whether this was a topic that needed to be looked at seriously. And it led to two things, um, all within the space of a few weeks or months. Uh, The first was a new decision, 34.310, which um, gave some real focus to the judgment of a player, whether they'd been reasonable in what they were judging and whether uh, that reasonable judgment should be upheld, even if uh, on review you'd say maybe they didn't quite get it right. Second aspect was to set up a video review working group. We're here on radio, but obviously on television, a lot of that evidence comes and players and others call in to studios and Mm. say, oh, did you see that, guys? What do you think? Is there a penalty? And that kind of call in from spectators did really prompt a big debate as to whether this was fair or whether uh, players were being disadvantaged by it, and particularly the top players, the people who were being televised all the time. So were they being held to a higher standard, given a sort of rougher end of the stick, than the rest of the players who aren't on television so much? So those were two really quite difficult aspects that we grasped straight away. Now, in the context of the rules project, um, maybe I need to give you some indication of the magnitude of the effort, really. Oh, no. no. (laughs) I think we could be here for a while if you did that. I don't think anybody around this table, other than you, envies the challenge that you take on. It is... And there's a lot lot of pedants in the world of golf, let's be honest. Absolutely there are. We all know them. Well, the, the, the rules have to be so comprehensive. The game is played... Uh, on virtually every type of terrain across the entire globe, virtually, uh, and uh, with all types of climatic conditions and players of all levels of skill. Uh, And so pretty much anything can happen on a golf course. Mm. Plus, golf courses, unlike football pitches or cricket pitches, 
don't tend to have roads or cart paths running through the middle of the playing field. <laughs> uh, they don't have toilet blocks. Um, Power lines it, hanging and, over. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the game and its rules have to contemplate all these situations and provide for them. So within the current rules, there are about 250 different parts to it. And what we did was we, we stripped back to find out the history of each and every rules outcome and rules provision, reviewed whether we thought it was good or bad. And uh, as part of the project team, someone would write a paper and make a personal recommendation that we then discussed. Um, Hensing the six years, maybe. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and so we spent, you know, three years talking about all of these different outcomes and saying whether we liked them or we didn't like them, whether they fitted with what we were trying to do for the game. And then we began to draft. Well, uh, here's my good cop, because I actually think you've got a lot of rules right for what it's worth for me, which is worth absolutely nothing, I would imagine, or <laughs> no, in the no, greatest scheme of things. But I think the, the USGA and the RNA are both doing some really good things but i've been banging on on this show before david about uh how the tourists sort of seem to become um they're becoming increasingly powerful in the way they interpret the rules and enforce the rules uh, naturally this is going to lead to a ball discussion at some stage but more importantly um how critical is the pga tour or the european tour the let or the lpga in in guiding what your rules become because that's the public face of the game and I, I sometimes get the feeling that they're working down a different path to the one the RNA would recommend. I think it's a fair point but the they are one of those constituents uh, that are relevant to the game but they are not the dominant force as far as we're concerned. Uh, I think we at the US uh, RNA and with the USGA are very conscious that we are the governing bodies uh, but we have really valued the input and debate that we've had with the representatives from uh, the PGA Tour, the European Tour, the LET, etc. So my, my committee at the RNA certainly has uh, people from those bodies who sit in on our discussions, and they are part of those discussions. But there is, um, and frankly never has been, any suggestion that if they want something, they get it. Uh, we take account of the fact that actually there are 60 million golfers who are amateurs who struggle with what they're trying to do, who love watching uh, the skill of the professional player and the top amateurs, but uh, they are playing the same game by the same rules and need to be given a fair crack through those rules. So a lot of uh, what we've done in the modernization of these rules has been to take account of ordinary golfers, mm. not at all driven by only how the game looks on television or how the professionals want to see things happen. Uh, and some instances of that perhaps are the expansion of penalty areas, so more lateral relief for parts of the course that are pretty difficult, um, the introduction potentially of an alternative uh, local rule for stroke and distance, when it's difficult for people to go back uh, and they haven't played a provisional ball, but instead of stroke and distance, they can drop a ball near where they think they've lost it. Uh, that's something for committees to think quite hard about how they use that power and whether it's appropriate to introduce that alternative uh, throughout the course or only for certain types of events, uh, only on certain holes. 
Another example is um, the ability to get out of a bunker, uh, unplayable ball in a bunker, get out of the bunker for two penalty strokes. Um, there are a lot of people who find bunkers difficult. Um, we've made it a rule of golf. So you could see a guy leading the Open Championship hits his second shot into the railed hole bunker at uh, St Andrews and drops out for two penalty strokes, <laughs> plays onto the green and, you know, and wins the Open. I doubt that's going to happen. Uh, most professionals would back themselves to get out, even from the road hole uh, bunker. But uh, that was very much with ordinary golfers in mind. A lot so of people struggle with those situations and we're trying to help them through the rules, keep them playing within the rules of the game, not feeling as if they're playing something different. Uh, the lost ball out of bounds ruling, I think, for me the most. Mm. That's one that I love the most. And I'm a bit with Hazy. I think they're all, um, you know, really good for golf. It goes to something that we talk a lot about, Dave, and that's pace of play. Yeah. Um, and, and making the game easier for people. Now you talked about the bunker ruling. How obvious? Uh, how often was that? Um, part of the conversation about arriving at an ultimate decision. We need to keep play moving and we need to make the game a little easier for players to play. And more uh, understandable too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that people haven't always had sympathy for the rules because they've uh, suffered with a penalty and they haven't understood why the penalty exists. So one aspect is to clarify the purpose of certain of the rules. We've made that in uh, purpose statements, as it were, at the beginning of each rule. So people uh, get a feel for why this rule exists and therefore, uh, if you don't abide by it, why there happens to be a penalty. That aspect is, is certainly there in the new rules. But as to pace of play, uh, it was very much at the forefront of our minds when we were debating potential outcomes and where you might go. If there was an outcome that we thought would improve pace of play, we tended to prefer that outcome. Mm. Importantly, we put into the rules for the first time uh, real recommendations about pace of play. Um, the, the strong recommendation that every shot should be played within 40 seconds that would be nice to see on the tours, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, but but um, for most people, 40 seconds is a long time. Um, I fear that quite a lot of professionals uh, get coached to have a pre-shot routine that takes about 35 seconds. Then they get distracted and they start all over again. So, But they're playing... They're playing for their living. I understand that. Um, but for most amateurs, it's raising the awareness of the issue, making them aware that your own pace of play makes a difference not only to the people you're playing with, but absolutely to the people who are behind you on the golf course and wanting to enjoy it, have fun, but get in the bar and have a chat afterwards. Are these rules like your little babies? <laughs> I'm afraid that having lived with them for so long, uh, yes, that's probably true. Um, perhaps you can tell I have a passion for the game. And um, I think a lot of us involved in the game in one way or another do feel that passion. And here is a chance to make a difference, to, to do something that we all feel is for the good of the game and its future and will be more welcoming we want more people to appreciate what an amazingly good 
interesting, stimulating game it is. And um, if the rules have in the past been somewhat off-putting because they've been felt to be complicated, overly harsh, um, or just too legalistic, then they're not doing their job as complementing all the other good aspects of the game. So uh, we can only do our part up to a certain level, but we have certainly been trying to make these rules uh, part of a framework for the game going forward. So do you have a favorite child or do you have more, maybe if it's easier to answer, do you have a, you know, a disgraced stepchild in your previous life that you didn't like? (laughs) Not really. I I think that uh, certainly some of the penalties we've seen, things like uh, poor Billy Horshaw um, at the 15th at Augusta, he he chipped onto the green, he'd marked the ball, Mm. but then he put it back again and the wind blew it in the water. That seems really odd. His last shot had come to an end. There was no doubt about that. And once he had marked, lifted the ball and replaced it, um, if the wind blows it in the water or into the hole, that that's not the outcome of his last shot. Mm. He should play from where that ball was, and that's what we've done. I think taking away penalties for accidental movement on the ball on the putting green, um, something we did by local rule but is in the new rules, um, is also a very good thing. So you're here in Australia at the moment. You're touring around the world uh, sort of teaching people how to uh, implement the rules, I guess, is one way of putting it when it comes into force in 2019. How has that been received here and what's has there been some sort of localised reaction that's been different anywhere else? Well, I think you have a very knowledgeable group of people here. I don't butter them up. Uh, <laughs> well, they're not even in this room. But the, the fact is that we have now probably spent three days with um, in, in various places, both in Scotland, in Buenos Aires, um, and in Bangkok, and now here in Melbourne, we have uh, been with over 250 experienced administrators, rules gurus, and referees. And they have definitely grilled us hard on how these new rules work, how they fit together, and we've helped them to gain, I hope, a better understanding of both the thinking behind them as well as the words and what they actually say. And you're right, this is designed to help them teach other people about the rules. Part of the implementation that uh, will gather pace, as it were, in the last quarter of the year. Remember, there's still a lot of golf to be played in 2018, and that's being played under the current rules. So we don't want to confuse people too much. But the the experts are the people that we've been teaching, as it were, for the last uh, these these last couple of months. And that will help them run their own teaching programs later in the year and into next year. So you're trying to tell me that, that Simon Magdulski and Andrew Langford-Jones are hip and modern. <laughs> well. Because I'm going to have to take, a, uh, that, take exception to that. That's a controversial remark that I wouldn't <laughs> dare to respond to. But, uh, but they're good guys and they know their stuff and they really have a desire to 
do their part yeah. in making golf an attractive game to follow and be part of. And and we've had such interesting feedback, debate, toing and froing with people uh, late at night and early in the morning uh, on golf buggies, on golf courses and around the game, uh, trying to get those feelings and understand what people's pet hates and, and likes are. Um, but at the end of it, I think these new rules seem to be standing up well to that scrutiny. Now, of course, it's really from one Jan that you know whether we've got it right. You're playing competitive golf in the highest level uh, and the ordinary club level and seeing whether uh, the feedback is, yeah, these work or, hmm, you've still got some thinking to do, guys. And part of it all, I reckon, David, and correct me if I'm wrong, is to take some of the intimidation factor out of golf. It can be, for people who haven't grown up in the game, um, we're trying to bring new people into the sport. It can be an intimidating game. I don't know the rules. There's too many rules. Um I'm, and that will be a blockage for some people coming into the game of golf, particularly around female participation. Before we started the chat on air, we are having a chat about that being a priority of yours and the RNAs to make the game an easier game to attract girls and women into. Is that, again, somewhere layered into um, the conversation about making the rules a little easier to understand and a little more user-friendly? Absolutely, and I think it's it's not just uh, women and girls, but but young people generally, uh, who absorb their information in totally different ways than an old guy like me would. But the the fact is that we have uh, prepared and not yet published, but we will in in September or so, a thing called the Players Edition. So it's an abridged version of the full rules of golf. Oh, that'd be pretty. It is a rule book. It yep. will apply, but. It's got far fewer words in it than the full rules. And importantly, it's got a lot of diagrams and charts to help you with easy application on the golf course itself. Now, this is going to be available in book form, of course, um, but it will be part of an app, digital versions, and this will help people so much more. Uh, not everybody has a rule book in their golf bag, um, and I don't want to ask you to raise hands as to whether you do or you don't. I'm, I'm, I don't have yeah, one well, no, I do. There's I'm, no great no, surprise no, there, but pretty much everyone today carries a smartphone onto the golf True course enough. and yeah. around their lives. So uh, that version uh, will be you know, interactive. You, you press on an icon, you can get straight through to the full rules language. You can get into our new official guide, the interpretations on the rules of golf. These uh, aids to understanding, and indeed, if you want to read it in the, uh, you know, your room at home overnight, they'll give you a good understanding of the game. But the idea is very much to, to show a welcoming face, to use language that people can get, and to have diagrams to help you do the right thing on the golf course, but do it quickly. I will have one of those in my golf bag. You lock I'll that take in. one of those stuck <laughs> in my golf bag, I promise you. <laughs> all right, all right. I think right. That's a, that, that sounds to me to be a fantastic um, version of the rule book mm. for people that I play golf with yeah. to um, find a whole lot more accessible um, than the traditional um, rule book, which does, it does challenge a few of us. 
Well, undoubtedly it does, and and we totally recognise that, and and we have sought, I hope, in in a far more uh, creative fashion than perhaps you might expect from governing bodies. So, David, it would be remiss of us, and I don't want to make this into a ball conversation, but to ask you about the ball while you're here, and it seems to me that the RNA and the USGA have been um, remarkably forthright in in their opinions, uh, especially in a historic context. Yet we're somehow, again, locked in this position where the, the US PGA Tour in particular it seems adamantly opposed to what you're suggesting, if not instructing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you see this ball saga panning out? It's not a ball saga. It's an equipment saga and a distance saga. The ball just seems to be the public face of it, of course. Well, that's right. Um, clearly, this has been sparked a bit by the uh, distance uh, review and the publication of the statistics from the last season on all six tours, uh, the distance increase was significant, much more significant in the last 12 months than it had been over the previous 10 to 12 years. Uh, So that makes people pause. Uh, There are anomalies, there can be blips, maybe it is one of those. Uh, On the other hand, I think most of us would recognize that increasingly the fitness levels of players the conditioning of golf courses combined with superior technology, the combination of both the ball and the club designed to get the right launch angle for that player, that player's swing and skill level, uh, has prompted this increase in distance. Now, is that good for the game as a whole? Is it uh, or is it not? What we, I think, and the USGA are trying to do is prompt a genuine, open, and constructive debate around that whole topic. And where it will lead, we can't say. What we want is for people to enter that debate, do so without preconceptions as to whether one part of the game is attacking another part of the game, trying to deny them the merits of their skill, I don't think that's the case at all from our side. I think we want uh, an open and constructive discussion. It will lead where it will lead. It will take time. Um, But for ordinary golfers, you know, we like hitting the ball a decent distance. Uh, We don't hit it as well or as far as professionals or certainly as straight. Um, So... If we were to rein back the ball or change the equipment and that affected every golfer, I think that would be a retrograde step. But uh, that isn't really what we're suggesting. We're suggesting there should be a dialogue and uh, people will, as a result of that dialogue, evolve solutions that they think fit for the game. And whether that's universal, whether that's applied only in certain circumstances, that's not for us to say now. Um, we just want people to sit down in a room and talk openly about it. Without sort of breaching any confidentiality or going into an area you're uncomfortable going, but how big is the battle between organisations like the RNA and the manufacturers who have committed millions and billions of dollars into you know um, the tech, designing the technology? Is that... There's got to be a balance, I imagine, that needs to be struck before we get to an end point in this debate. And I imagine that would be a difficult um, end of the road to kind of find. 
Yeah, I can understand that. And and clearly the manufacturers have done fantastic work, uh, which we've all enjoyed as golfers. Uh, but they, they've almost reached, well, perhaps, uh, they've almost reached the limits anyway. We already have, um, you know, club specifications and they and they push up hard against them. But the le- and and likewise with ball technology, that the, they've pushed it as all, not quite as far as it can go, but but certainly a long way. Now, um, people will still buy clubs. People will still buy golf balls. People will still hit golf balls into places they can't retrieve the ball, <laughs> whether it's an expensive five dollar ball or a you know a scuffed up nasty. Uh, the fact is that <laughs> golf balls and clubs will continue to be made, sold, and enjoyed for years to come. Uh, they're part of this debate, of course they are. Um, their skills uh, and what they can do will contribute to the solution. I have no doubt of that. Um, but uh, we don't know where this debate will go. We just want it to happen. Mm. Uh, and we don't want people to, to come into the room with a closed mind. David, we could be here for a long time, I reckon. Um, we'll only ever scratch the surface about the depth of the work that you and your committee do in a 15-minute chat like this, but I think we're all better for having had the 15 minutes that we've had, and um, we can't wait for... I'm with Hazy, and I'm sure you, Stace, and a lot of other you know kind of regular weekend players. I think we can't wait for Jan 1, 2019 to roll around. I, think, I do mm. agree with Hazy. I think the changes have been really good for... The game, so we'll look forward to seeing them implemented, and I'm sure we're all going to enjoy playing under the new system. So, thanks so much for coming in and doing the work that you and your committee do. Appreciate your time. Well, it's been great to be with you. Uh, lovely to have the opportunity to share some of my thoughts and the background to these new rules. Uh, I hope and feel that they will be a good change for the game and for players worldwide. And if people enjoy their game all the more because of those rules, we'll have done a good job. Stacey wants to actually do a doctorate on, um, on, on lateral hazards, so can you help her out with that? Come again, sorry. <laughs> we'll get a that, break out that, of Hey, they're, they're called penalty areas for the future. <laughs> is that what I'm they're called for now, the, uh, Penalty I'm areas. Yeah. So um, we, don't, we don't, there's no, that's just what they become now. Yeah. One name fits yes. all. So which is we part actually of the have a bunker rule. Yep. Uh, so bunkers are bunkers, they're not hazards. And you can do certain things in a bunker and you can't do certain things in a bunker. But what we've changed there is preserving the challenge of playing the shot from the sand. Mm. Um, but penalty areas can include areas of sort of jungle, rock, uh, thick rough that you don't really want people going into. And in that area, you can um, touch the ground, you can move loose impediments, you can have practice swings. What you can't, what you can do is take lateral relief or other relief away under penalty. But if you can get in there and play it, even though there's no water now, or from Gen 19 then uh, go right ahead and, and, and feel free. Terrific. Um, David Bonsall, RNA Chairman of the Rules of Golf Committee, joining us on the show. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. We're going to break out of the way. Come back with more after this. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows? Maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. 
figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. G'day, I'm Greg Chalmers. I'm a long way from home here in Dallas, Texas, but I love catching up with all the Aussie golf news on Inside the Rope. Welcome back to the show. Almost uh, at the end of the program, um, we've already spoken rules with an RNA, well, the chair of the RNA Rules Committee and Anthony Quayle off the back of his outstanding performance up in Japan last week. It doesn't end there. There are Australians doing things in golf all over the world at various levels. And Stacey, with Stephanie Bunky, a young name, hopefully we're going to hear a whole lot more about in the future. She's got something very exciting in front of her at the moment. Yeah, it's very exciting. And we uh, welcome her onto the show today. We've caught her in a break in her practice while she's prepping to go away for the Queen Circuit uh, Cup next week in Thailand. So welcome to the show, Steph. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So how are you feeling in the lead up, Steph? Uh, first Aussie appearance? I am so excited. Um, I've been waiting for this opportunity for so long. Um, it's just such an honour to represent my country and I just can't wait to get out there and have fun. Awesome. They weren't the words that you used when I called you to say that you were uh, in that <laughs> oh, Did you, Brayden? You so, gave like, it the news. I was able to make that oh. call. So that's a pretty cool phone call so what did, to make. Okay, before, what did you get? So you dialed the number. I'm Stephanie, all right? So, Steph, you just sit there for a moment. I'll be Stephanie. So yeah. phone rings. Yeah, hello? Um, it was after actually. It was no, after, no, you've got to. I'm oh. going to be Steph. We're going to reenact the phone okay, call. Right? Okay, okay. Phone right. ring, ring, ring. Hello. Hey, Steph. It's Stace. Oh, hi, Stace. How are you going? Good. Now I know I caught you at a rough moment earlier at Riversdale. You hadn't had the best finish, but um, I wanted your day to end on a brighter note. Oh, yeah. What have you got? Well, you know, Queen Circuit selection has uh, been approaching, oh, and I know to... that's something that's been a big goal of you're yours. You're not stupid, <laughs> Stacey. Of course I know about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would like to congratulate uh, congratulate you on making the team. <laughs> <laughs> Did it go something like that? <laughs> Look, it was very similar. I that, was that. To be honest, that was a bit of a PG-rated thing, but we'll go with that. Right. But anyway, we won't go into that, will we, Steph? <laughs> No, no. Yeah. So, what did it mean to you? Like, we've just blown the audio levels in the studio yeah. right off the top. my eardrums. When, when you get something like that, Steph, ha, ha, tell us once you leave the profanities behind what it actually, you know, the kind of what it means to you to be selected in a team like this. Uh, it's, it's just it's incredible. I, I can't even tell you what it means. Like, that, that day itself was such an up and, up and day sort of emotional day for me you know I had happy tears I had sad tears it was just, it was all happening but you know I'm so grateful and something like this you know it doesn't happen very often and not for many people so I'm just you know taking this by the horns and I'm going to do the best that I can. Yeah so how are you feeling you know heading into the week Steph obviously going with some great players as well uh, Becky and Grace um, yeah how are you feeling what do you expect from the week um, over there? Um, well to be honest I've woken up with a bit of a head cold yesterday, so my... <laughs> Don't throw that on me, Steph. It's stuffy in the nose, but no. Um, um, I've, I'm preparing pretty well. You know, I'm feeling pretty good. The Grace and Becky are such good girls, so, you know, we're going to have fun, you know, good or bad results on the golf course. But, you know, off the course, I think we're going to have, have an awesome time. Uh, I just can't wait to 
get over there, you know, get out of the country for a bit, experience some new things, maybe try some new foods, who knows, see how adventurous I can get. <laughs> Steph, everyone who knows you knows you're a very passionate young lady and, and, and wear your heart on your sleeve. Uh, are you going to be able to contain yourself in, well, in interviews over there or if you shoot a 64 or if you shoot a 94? What's going to happen to the to the Steph Bunky that uh, is, you know, so demonstrative about the way she feels? Um, yeah, you know, that's something I've been working on a lot over, over recent time. Um, you know, I think I should be, I should be fine. Um, you know, I've learned how to keep a relatively level head. Um, that's probably hard for you to believe, Hazy, but you know, it's true. <laughs> oh, she has. I know she's been working hard on that. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. I have to accept Steph's answer on that one. I'm finding that really hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, but no, um, it should be fine. You know, I, I respect, you know everyone's opinions and I you know I know when I can say certain things and when I shouldn't so um I know when to yeah when to dial things down and when to wear it on my sleeve I guess in all seriousness like I I think you have the capacity to make scores and shots like very few women who are coming through the ranks in Australian golf uh when when you're in the midst of a good score, uh, a good round, and you have a hiccup, how how can you prevent that from sort of becoming an avalanche? Because I think your best is world-class. Yeah, so, you know, obviously I sort of experienced that at Riversdale. That sort of threw me off a little bit. But um, in that round, I was still relatively happy with the way I finished. You know, you just sort of have to accept what happens in the moment and... Um, you know, just move on, you know, things happen and the past is the past, I guess. So, you know, just it sounds very cliche, but it really is just one shot at a time and just staying in the moment and just trying to execute every shot as best as I can and dealing with the consequences. A bit, bit windy out at Vic stuff or? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Well, I, I just know that you are, as I said, passionate about this and to... I know that there's a lot of people who are very happy to pull on the green and gold for the first time, but I I can't imagine someone who who it means more to than you. Yeah, no, definitely. It's 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 seriously such an honour. Um, I've been working so hard, and it's so nice to see my efforts, you know, not go unnoticed. Um, you know, I feel like like the oldie compared to these other two girls. You know, they've had had their time representing the green and gold plenty of times before this. Um, but, you know, everything happens for a reason. Like, this is part of my journey, and I'm just so honoured that I even have this chance to represent my country. Like, I'm, I'm so excited and I'm so honoured. Well, you thoroughly deserve it. We can't wait to see how you and the other two go. Um, all the very best. Thanks for giving us a few minutes. Hopefully that head cold clears up sooner rather than later. And um, once you get over to Thailand, you're in 100% uh, working order. Good luck, and thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Pump for you, Steph. Thanks, Steph. Fantastic young lady. A lot to look forward to. Just quickly, how does this tournament play out? It's a three-team, three-player team event. How, how does it? What's the? How does it? How does it work out? So three rounds, fifty-four holes, three person per team. There's fourteen countries uh, represented, Asia Pacific, and best two scores 
per team count each day mm. and best okay. total at the end. There is an individual aspect to it as well, but that's not the focus. It's the Queen's Cricket Cup is two rounds per day. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, we wish her and the team all the very best. Some news coming in about Mark Leishman, Hazy. Yeah, and it may not be breaking when you're listening to this, everyone out there in uh, ITR. Hazy had it first. It was an exclusive. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, but Mark, 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 <laughs> Leishman, um, Mark Leishman just confirmed that he's playing at Royal Pines in the Australian PGA Championship later this season, great. which is fantastic awesome. news for all Australian golf fans. Great news. Brilliant. Uh, in other great news, and probably roll this through you, Stace, because in the women's game, one of the realities of being a woman is that uh, if you want to have a baby, you have to get pregnant, and the woman carries the child. And that can often be a bit of an impediment when you're a professional sports person. Stacey uh, Lewis has um, announced this week that uh, she is pregnant. And she's told a fantastic story which accompanies this. And I think this is a really positive. It shouldn't even be a story. It shouldn't be a story. But the reality is that often when female athletes do become pregnant, there comes a financial cost with that, but not the case in this situation. Yeah, it's awesome. One of her main sponsors, KPMG, has come out and said that they're going to be treating her as any other staff member and giving, I guess, like a maternity leave, Mm. but paying her contract through when she's not playing the events that she had originally, you know, signed for. So, I mean, it's it's awesome, and I hope a lot of other companies roll with this. It, it, yeah, I think this could be massive. We will do. We will. We will honour anybody who doesn't um, make a woman feel like she's losing out for being pregnant and expecting a child uh, on this show. Any other any company that that follows the KPMG lead here and doesn't make a female pay to get play to get paid, I think that is a fantastic positive step for sport, for society, for the world, for equality, for inclusion, for all of the things that we stand for. We stand for. I think it's a really great it's a really great thing that KPMG have done. Yeah, hats and off to them. Yeah, absolutely. And Hopefully I'll du- others follow. I'll double the donation if you don't take us down the instructional birds and bees path that I thought you were going to lead us down <laughs> when you first started this segment. No, no, no. It's, it's all been a an accident when it's no, we won't go there. <laughs> no, no, I won't do that to you, Hazy. No, you need the book. You need the book with the pictures, and this is not a. We all had the, We all got the book. We all got the we? book. Yeah. We all got the book. Um, last one from me, just as a little bits and bob on the way through before we get out of here, and we might have to edit that bit out. Um, we were talking about Stephen Atkinson's letter last week. To Thomas le- Beyond. exactly fifteen thousand four hundred seventy first plate. You didn't see. You don't know what we're talking about. A boat by the name, an Englishman by the name of Stephen Atkinson, sent Thomas Bjorn, captain of the European. Oh, Rider sorry, yeah, yes, yeah, I yeah, did see yeah, it. Saying sorry. he's unfortunate. Sorry, yes. So yes. this <laughs> yeah. created all sorts of traction around the world. Well, d- you haven't seen the video yet, you two, this week. No, no. Thomas Bjorn with a secret film crew uh, have got in the car with the Ryder Cup, and so they're in the car driving to an as yet unknown address. And Thomas Bjorn says, "Well, we're in the car. Well, we got this letter." And we thought, like, we had to make this man part of it. So we're off to see him. And he shows the cup and the letter. They walk up to Stephen Atkinson's door, knock on the door. Stephen, Atkinson's walk, Stephen Atkinson walks to the door, presumably not knowing that it was going to be Thomas Bjorn with a film crew. And here we are. You are such an important part to us now. We, we, we're saddened that you won't be able to play, says Thomas Bjorn. But we felt that you needed to be part of this. So they take the Ryder Cup and they had this little discourse between the player and the captain. It was just a fantastic, cool. it was really good. If you haven't seen the video, I employ you to kind of find it too hard to find, um, but nick online and have a look for it. It's done with a sense of humour and a really warm heart and 
it's a very, very nice European touch. tour. Awesome with their videos. They really oh, are. Some of the stuff they've done yeah. is like hysterical, yeah. and you know the people they've got involved doing those sort of things. It, it's awesome. Agree. Yeah. I mean, and a great way for the players to show their personalities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and get others involved. You know, yeah, a lot of the yeah. stuff they've done with some of the kids has just been, you know, it's been really cool. I love the fact that Cam Percy and Greg Chalmers gave out Vegemite sandwiches <laughs> on the first tee at the Zurich. And Playing this is, land down under. So this is our chance. Do you want it? No, I don't think it's going to happen today. Do you know I can't give you a little lead into it? Well, if you No, I don't know how the song starts on it. I can't even remember that stuff. Do you want to do a little thing, or are you just going to take the fifth on this occasion? I'll take the fifth. I, I'm, I'm not unwilling to sing again, but I think I need something different to land out on. Okay, that. righto. Uh, anything else before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, we've got a couple of things that we've got to run through, Andy. The housekeeping that you sort of oh, uh, always neglected shirking me. Sorry, these days. Oakford. Sorry, Oakford. Uh, I just want to remind all listeners, if you're listening to this through a non-traditional podcasting sort of thing, that... Thing. You can subscribe on a non traditional <laughs> podcasting thing. <laughs> well, it could be a website. You are right across It could be a website yeah. or through social <laughs> media that you've stumbled across it. Uh, that you can uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you. And we have, as we've been requesting with five star reviews, we're pushing our way towards 100. We're up to 97. We desperately want to get there <laughs> next week. So leave us a five star review. It'll help us. Others noticed what we do, and we'd very much appreciate it. Uh, at 97, as I said, and we've got a couple here, Andy. I'm going to read one, which doesn't involve me, and another one from Damo5. Um, really enjoying your podcast. Missed rest of the first year's episodes, but have pretty much caught up. Helps feel feed my golf addiction if I, can get to the co- if I can't get to the course. Cheers, Damo. So Good thanks, on you, Damo. Thanks, Damo. And there is one other one. I'm not sure if either of you got it. I don't think I should have to be forced to read this. Yeah, I think you should read it out, actually, Hazy. No. Is it about you? Yeah, it's yeah. about me. No, go on. I haven't got it. <sighs> it's yeah. from Rabsy24. Oh, hang, hang on. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, please. Right. I seriously oh, don't want to read it. Here it is. I'll read it. I'll read it for you. Hang on. What are you doing, Joey? Here it is. This is from Rabsy4. Uh, Mark Hazy Hayes. <laughs> Mark Hazy Hayes singing is gold, worth a five-star rating alone. <laughs> Rebsy, I'm not sure. Um, is that one of your bogus accounts? I'm not it? sure if there's an auditory uh, specialist near you, but I will try and recommend it. Thank you very much. No, it's, you uh, that's outrageous, but thank you. Um, Andy, Andy, before yep. we go, um, next week you might have to check in with me and maybe Stace as well over in Adelaide. We're heading to the Interstate Series um, at the Grange and Glenelg Golf Clubs. We will. And uh, a huge week for Australian amateur golf, uh, the, the pride of all the states on the line, and it's going to be huge over there. We will definitely do that. And uh, you can, I'm sure that you too, between you, bring us up to date with everything we need to know. That's it. We're done and dusted inside the ropes. Ep 41 in the can. Thanks to David Bonsall, Anthony Quayle, and Stephanie Bunky for joining us. And for you, Stacey Peters, for just, we talked to Stephanie about her head cold. You look like you're in the wars over there. So. You've I've just had a couple sne- of moments where I think I'm about to sneeze. Sneezing and, yep. and coughing and <laughs> snot coming out of your nose over there. But I'll blame it on Steph. You've yeah. done very well. <laughs> uh, that's it. We're done and dusted. We'll see you next week, folks.